0: Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95.
1: Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. Now, former Limerick TD Des O'Malley has released a memoir. It's entitled Conduct Unbecoming. And Des is on the line with us this morning. Good morning to you, Des morning, Joe. Now, in the book, you talk about your first mistake as a politician and it related to your uncle, Donagh O'Malley's funeral. Tell us about that. Oh,
0: yeah. um, well, the, the, um, it was in St. John's Cathedral and um, uh, the cathedral was very full, totally full, uh, well before the time for the Mass. And um, uh, there were only two benches reserved for what was called family. Uh, It was organized, I think, by the Department of the Taoiseach because it was a state funeral. Uh, And I said to them there'd be a lot more people, uh, family members, than uh, two benchfuls. So uh, they tried to make more room. Uh, and then one of the officials approached me and said uh, that the gates of the cathedral were locked uh, and that there were a lot of people outside uh, who claimed to be uh, relatives. Uh, would I go out and identify them? Uh, so I went out and um, certainly I didn't know them as close relatives anyway, or immediate family members. Uh, and I said to, to the official, where are you want to put them And he said he didn't know, uh, so I said, "Well, you know, you better sort it out." Uh, and I went back into the cathedral. Now, uh, what I should have done, of course, was admit a whole lot of them, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I thought that was a serious mistake—the uh, kind of one that. Uh, uh, I wasn't thinking of a political career at that stage in the middle of a funeral. Uh, well, but that's, that's right. The kind of one you
1: shouldn't make. Yeah, because you say in the book that uh, your uncle Dunnach was a, quote, proper politician. He wouldn't have made that mistake. And to some extent, you weren't in the classic Irish style of TD at any stage in your career, Des.
0: I, I suppose I wasn't really. Um, so... Uh, For that reason, maybe I was lucky to survive there for uh, 34 years. I got elected 11 times uh, in uh, Limerick East, and um, I'm, of course, very grateful for that because uh, I wasn't doing all the sort of local work that uh, um, others uh, uh, specialised in. And uh, notwithstanding that, the people were good enough to uh, re-elect me many times.
1: You mention uh, that Neil Blaney, uh, famous in Donegal and nationally for a variety of reasons, came into your political career at a very early stage indeed, and you weren't entirely happy with the way he ran your election campaign.
0: Uh, I wasn't. He came in. uh, It was going uh, quite well. It was being run by a man uh, called uh, Podge Brennan, who was a parliamentary secretary at the time. Uh, but he was a low-key sort of man. Uh, but he was doing perfectly all right, and we were getting on okay. And then about three weeks before polling, or uh, perhaps two or two weeks before polling, um, uh, um, uh, Blaney suddenly arrived in a kind of whirlwind and announced that he was taking over. And he did that without consultation with anybody, uh, including myself. Or the local organisation, and he brought people from Donegal with him who were used to fighting by-elections, because in those days by-elections were quite common. Uh, There there were six, I think, in the year in which I was elected, Uh, because a lot of the uh, deputies were quite elderly at that time. Some of them had been uh, people who had been in the War of Independence and in the Civil War, Uh, and one of the things uh, that um, uh, they Donegal Mafia, as they were called, did on Blaney's instructions, uh, was after Senegal had written the name of their candidate, O'Higgins, on the footpaths um, in Limerick, all over the city, uh, one night in white paint. Um, Blaney was furious, and he sent out his uh, Donegal people uh, with pots of red paint uh, the following night, uh, to write uh, the figure seventy-seven under the name O'Higgins, and of course this caused absolute uproar and uh, antagonised the um, uh, Miguel supporters. And
1: yeah, why? What did seventy-seven
0: what uh, uh, voters uh, who, who might have voted for me too?
1: Yes, but there's what did seventy-seven refer to?
0: Well, seventy-seven, sorry, referred to. 77 uh, men who were executed during the Civil War without uh, trial uh, by the Free State Army yes. uh, on the instructions of the government. And the the, um, uh, the Minister for Justice at that time who would have signed the warrants for their execution uh, had been uh, Kevin O'Higgins, uh, who was actually a uncle of the uh, ca- candidate in Limerick, uh, uh, who stood against me, Jim O'Higgins. And uh, that, that of course, um, you know, infuriated a great many people and um, caused a lot of uh, angst and anger at the time.
1: Absolutely. And, of course, you know, uh, you were reasonably transfer-friendly and you were hoping for transfers from Fine Gael. No, you were elected. What's really fascinating is that the subsequent general election, uh, Dunnock, your uncle's wife, Hilda, ran against you in Limerick, as an independent. That must have come as a massive shock. Uh,
0: It did, because, you see, before I stood in the by-election, I went to see her and asked her what she interested, and she told me she wasn't. And then she told me all the reasons why she wasn't. And she advised me, for my own sake, uh, not to uh, stand because... uh, not because she wanted to, because she didn't, but uh, because uh, she distrusted a lot of the people uh, in Fina Fall, and she didn't like the way that Dunnock had been uh, treated by a number of them. And um, uh, I, I uh, for that reason, got quite a shock when she suddenly uh, decided tw- 12 months later to, uh, to stand as an independent.
1: And did you ever get to the bottom of why she made that decision?
0: I, I didn't really. I, I think that uh, uh, some people just, uh, you know, kind of urged her to do it. and uh, uh, they said that uh, I wasn't suitable, if you like, and that I wasn't in the same mould as Dunnock.
1: Yes, because um, Dunnock in politics would have been quite close to the likes of Charles Hahi for example. And when you went in after the by-election, it became pretty clear to them very early on that you were cut from a different cloth.
0: Yeah, well, that uh, seems to be been the case, all right. And indeed, I, I mentioned in the book uh, that uh, his, uh, his, Dunnock's mother, who was my grandmother, of course, uh, said to me, uh, well, as I have, I, when when the arms uh, crisis matter came to a, to a head or became public in 1970, and I was Minister for Justice at that time, and she was then over 90, uh, she said to me, I now understand why God took Dunnock when he did. Because if he hadn't, uh, he'd be involved with Hawi and Blaney,
1: who were his pals. Because even though your dad um, and Dunnock, his brother, got on quite well, your relationship with Dunnock O'Malley was slightly different, wasn't it? You talk in the book about um, help on a particular matter that you were discussing with Dunnock and you didn't find him particularly welcoming. Oh well,
0: he wasn't very cooperative. But uh, my my father had a lot of problems with him. So, uh, however, there are matters I don't want to talk
1: about now. You know? um, let's just go back. I, I was fascinated to read that your grandfather was shot dead by the black and tans in Castle Connell. Uh, that's
0: right, in 1921. And um, uh, he, he was shot in, you know, rather unpleasant circumstances. Because it transpired that the Blankham Tans were actually using what were called dum-dum bullets uh, on that occasion, which were bullets that uh, were um, uh, prohibited in the First World War by a Geneva Convention uh, because they did so much damage. Uh, they were tip of them was reversed, and so that if they were didn't you were. You were to somebody's body. They they blew it outwards and um, it was a particularly savage way of doing things.
1: And Um, and are you convinced to this day that uh, he was shot down in cold blood?
0: Oh, I think there isn't much doubt at all that he was uh, because uh, he was uh, uh, taken out of the hotel which uh, he owned um, uh, out into a yard with his hands up and um, uh, he was uh, just, uh, of course, naturally he was totally unarmed at the time, and uh, uh, he uh, was shot down in the uh, in the yard and uh, by, I think, hit by five or six bullets.
1: And despite the fact that there was a very powerful member of the British establishment, a surgeon who was staying at that hotel and was heart witness to what happened and he put a lot of pressure on the British government at the time. In the end, there was a military tribunal whitewash over what went on in Castle Connell that day. Uh, there was. They,
0: they, wouldn't say, they wouldn't call that man uh, uh, who, who was an Englishman. He was a brother of Lord Parmore uh, who was a prominent member of the House of Lords and uh, they wouldn't call him. Uh, Cripps was his name. And it turned out um, that he uh, he was the father of a man called Sir Stafford Cripps, who much later on and uh, was Chancellor of the Exchequer in the Attlee government after the Second World War. Uh, but they wouldn't uh, the British wouldn't call him at the uh, inquiry tribunal of inquiry that was held because of course they didn't want uh, his evidence uh, to be given because he described what happened, and he deplored what the Black and Tans had done and the brutal way that uh, they came into the place and shot it up and um, uh, uh, what uh, was fortunate if you like about that was that he wrote to his brother uh, who read the letter out in the House of Lords and uh, it shocked uh, the British establishment and I think has had quite an influence then on the uh, whole uh, question of um, whether the um, uh, British um, attitude, military attitude in Ireland at the time, should be continued. And talks began secretly, I think, after that quite uh, quickly. Uh, And the truce uh, was actually signed on, I think it was the
1: 6th of July, which was about seven or eight weeks later. We're talking to Des O'Malley this morning about his memoir, Conduct Unbecoming. Des, in the book, you say that it's fair to say um, that uh, the O'Malley family was part of the Limerick establishment.
0: Yeah, I suppose it was fair to say that. Or it's fair to say it Um, because, uh, uh, you know, my my father... uh, various uncles of mine on both sides were solicitors at Limerick, and uh, in that sense I suppose uh, members of the establishment <laughs> if you like to
1: call it that. Yeah. You also talk uh, about the assortment of um, characters from various backgrounds that used to come into your father's solicitor's office and I think you put it down to rugby. Uh,
0: I did. You see I, I see rugby um Yes, a, a great unifier in Limerick, because it was, was well, it is a, a, a universal game at Limerick. Unlike other places like Dublin or Cork, where uh, it isn't, it's a bit elitist, if you like. or certainly used to be at that time, anyway. Um, but um, in, in Limerick, it was always different. And uh, uh, there were all kinds of fellows that uh, used to be very friendly with my father. Uh, 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 uh principally arising out of the fact that they played rugby either with him or against it.
1: Um Yeah, and, and you used to say, come into the office and go, is Desi here? I, I need a hand with something. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they, they a lot of them would come in uh, and the thought struck me that they'd hardly be let into uh, offices in Dublin or Cork, maybe, you know. <laughs> that,
1: that That was a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the most controversial um, aspects of the book is that you wade into the debate on Kilkee Des, Kilkee, and uh, the family going to Kilkee or not going to Kilkee. It turned out in the end, didn't it? Uh,
0: it? It did. Well, my father got a bit sick of it. He said it was a holiday because uh, there were too many people asking him questions about how their cases were going and things like that. Uh, so after. A a while, he, uh, for a number of years, he decided he'd move uh, for holiday purposes to Spanish Point, uh, where in those days, Spanish Point was absolutely full of nuns, Uh extraordinarily large number of nuns. Nuns were a very common phenomenon in those days, and there were hundreds of them there. So uh, they, they didn't interfere with him or ask any questions.
1: Yeah. Um You obviously were moving in the direction of uh, a legal career and then uh, the intervention of the death of, of your Uncle Donald, as we've talked about, uh, you ended up uh, in the Dáil. Um Now, one of the most interesting um, aspects uh, of your career uh, was the arms crisis and, and it has been debated um, ad nauseum and you write about it extensively. But I just want you to compare for me two Fianna Fáil Shig. Jack Lynch and Charles Hoy.
0: Well, they were, you know, uh, different as chalk and cheese in many respects. Um, and um, uh, anybody who, who knew them could see that straight away. Uh, totally different people, different approach to things. Uh, Lynch was a, a man who Man of, I suppose, modest tastes and uh, uh, modest demands, uh, and uh, had no uh, great ambitions to aggrandize himself in any way. Um, whereas, uh, well, he was a very different kind of man who aspired to a, a lifestyle that was uh, way above uh, his earning power, uh, but nonetheless, he him to be able to enjoy it and he was also very keen to uh, have power for his own sake and for uh, the use that he could make of that power.
1: And in the centre of the arms crisis as you were when you were appointed Minister for Justice there have been many different versions but you have always steadfastly accepted Taoiseach Jack Lynch's version of what happened relating to the attempt to import arms uh, through the south and into the north of Ireland at that time?
0: Uh, Well I have I mean it's not just his version of events, I I know what happened so it's my own version, it's it's the actual fact and um, uh, it's not just uh, from him, I mean it's uh, uh, what the Guards had to say, what the Department of Justice had to say, and in particular what the um, Secretary uh, of that department, Peter Berry, uh, had to say, because uh, uh, he was approached uh, to uh, allow uh, these arms uh, into the country illegally, which he refused, supposed to do.
1: How different was Fianna Fáil under Hahi compared to the leaders uh, of Fianna Fáil that came before?
0: Well, it was very different. At the, at the time uh, of change, I think, but the watershed was um, December 1979 because that was the time when uh, Hahi was elected uh, leader and became t uh, as a result. And um, uh, it was a very marked difference, and the whole atmosphere was completely different. And um, uh, it just never really recovered from that change. At the time, George Colley, uh, uh described it as a, as a fundamental change in the rules uh, of uh, how the whole system operated. And uh, that was true, there was a,
1: a fundamental change in the rules. Mm-hmm so it, ultimately, I presume you came to the conclusion that who is at the top often determines the culture of the people around him um as would have happened in hahi's time.
0: Yeah, oh, well, it does because it percolated down down through the ranks, if you like uh and that's why there were quite a number of people afterwards, including ministers who uh became involved in. Uh, conduct or activities that I think wouldn't have happened under any previous leader. Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95.
1: Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more.